Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well? Uh, ready for a new season? Um, this morning, I wanted to give you maybe like a different picture of how church uh, should be. Now, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys, like, like after Sunday, you, you go home, you're talking to your roommate, and you say something, oh yeah, like I went to church, or I'm going to church. Oh yeah, I go to this church, or I go to that church. And then I just want to like, kind of blow that up a little bit and say, what does it mean to go to a church? Does it mean that on Sunday morning you're like physically present at a certain place and maybe someone's up here preaching and you're listening and then afterwards you go enjoy some wonderful snacks? They are wonderful. Amen? Yeah, they are. Um, um, Is that going to church? What does it mean to be a part of a church or go to church? And what I wanted to um, talk today is perhaps challenge what you're thinking about, what it means to go to church, and to say that perhaps there's a vision of church that maybe you're not thinking about that is way more satisfying than what you're experiencing. Maybe church is supposed to be, by the grace of God, way more satisfying than what you have now. Now, uh, that's, that's where we're going today. Maybe we're going this direction with conviction, and I hope so. But let me start off by saying that, uh, and you can say amen after I say this, which is that Jesus Christ changed the world. You all agree with that? You can say amen. Okay, there's no doubt in that. I don't think people are going to be like, I, I disagree, right? Uh, we're talking about billions of people who believe in him, and so the lives have been deeply changed by him. Their worldview and values have been shaped and altered, right? So, it, yes, Jesus Christ has changed the world. But, so I'm not really um, putting a lot on that. I'm just giving that as a given. But really, we're looking at, like, how did he do it? Have you ever stopped to think about the strategy that Jesus Christ employed during his three-year ministry in the world? And what, I, maybe this is not new to you, but it does continue to shock me every time I think about it. That the strategy that Jesus employed in changing the world is by he invested in 12 people. As I look at Jesus' ministry and how he chose to spend his time and who he chose to spend it with, it's a little bit shocking to me. I would think that Jesus would be with masses of people and, you know, like revival tents. But when you really look at his life, he spent way more time with just 12 people. Only 12 people? Really? And what you see through the witness of Christ is that Jesus, he, it's not like he, was, he only cared about the 12. He did care about the world. He wanted to change the world, of course. But he knew that the means of doing so is by focusing on the few. So if there's a main idea, is that Jesus cared for the masses by investing in the few. That's a very powerful concept. I just want you to think about that for a little bit. Let me tell you this morning about the things that Jesus never did. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard a message or a part of the message like that. But, and it sounds weird to go in this argument, but just bear with me for a little bit. Jesus Christ is the most important man in the world. Let me tell you what he didn't do. Jesus never preached in America or Asia 
or Africa. He never saw the conversions of thousands and thousands of people in stadiums. He was actually abandoned by thousands of people. Jesus never wrote a bestseller book. He never gave a TED Talk. But now, strategically and practically, you know what he did do? He poured his life into 12 people. Now, if you turn with me into the uh, the 17th chapter of John, and what you see at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the end is probably one of the most important times. He's praying. He's pouring out his heart to God. And what you see him doing is that he is talking about, because he's thinking about, repeatedly about the small group of men that God had given him to invest in. So, in verse 6, this is the prayer of Jesus. He's pouring out his heart. He said, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. He's talking about the 12 men. Uh, Verse 10, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. He's talking about the 12. While I was with them, the twelve, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Verse 12. Verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, the twelve, may have the full measure of my joy in them. And then 19. For them, the twelve, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. During his earthly ministry, Jesus spent more time with the 12 than with anyone else in the world put together. That is kind of shocking to think about that. During the end of his last week, he pours out his heart in prayer. And who is he most concerned about? The 12. He gave his life to them. He spent most of his time with them. Jesus was caring for the entire planet. How? By investing in the few. And if you continue in the narrative, what you will see is that Jesus calls us to do the very same thing. Um, After this prayer in the upper room, Jesus goes to the cross, and our amazing Savior dies on the cross. And then he rises from the grave, and he appears again to his disciples, and then to the eleven gathered around him, and Jesus said these immortal words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, um, This basically is the foundation of our mission statement. Like, why do we exist as a church week after week, Sunday after Sunday? It is to make disciples. Now, I I wanted to put that to a definition. Some of you crave clarity. And so I I found this. I believe it's from Mark um, Dever. But he defines discipling and making disciples as this. Okay, discipling is helping others to follow Jesus. You might want to write that down. It's really simple. What is, dis- what, is disi- what is making disciples? Let me put it in a nutshell. It's helping others to follow Jesus. 
Some of you want a longer definition. Here it is. It's deliberately doing spiritual good. Let me hear you guys say spiritual good. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. Can you do this in a group? Yes, right? But sim- uh, simplistically, it's um, doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. Now, let me just say this. When we talk about making disciples, I think there are a lot of people who would say, right, that's for like mature people. That's for holy people. You know, that's for people who know a lot of the Bible and have a lot of the Bible memorized. Now, let me just say that when I am reading the words of Christ, that is not my impression. My impression that, that Jesus is like, are, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Do you follow Jesus? I follow Jesus. Then everyone who follows Jesus can be doing this. Which means that you do not have to have the prayer life of Caitlin in order to make disciples. You're like, oh, whew. Okay, you do not have to be as wise or as self-proclaimed good-looking as Calvin to make disciples. And you're like, oh, good, whoo. You don't have to be as humble as me. Y'all, y'all with me? You're like, oh, whew, I can never match up to that. Good, okay. So, which means that everyone can do this. Everyone can do this. Okay, so well, let's talk about why. Why do this? There's many different ways to, you know, a lot of commands in the Bible. Why, 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 why make disciples? Why make this a priority? Why put your whole mission statement as a church, on this one, well, let me tell you why. Um, as, as I look at the Bible as closely as I can, as I read it as closely as I can study it, it seems like we are here in God's purposes for two driving reasons. The first reason, as far as I can read the scripture, is to enjoy his grace. Maybe you're here today and you don't know his grace. And the word for you is, you know, something... Enjoy his grace. Enjoy his grace. Grow in his grace. Grow in his grace. But there's also a driving reason, I believe, right from the beginning all the way to Revelation, which is, and not just enjoy his grace for yourself, but extend his glory across the the world. Let me hear you guys say, enjoy his grace. Okay, but it's not just that, but it's also extend his glory. So let me hear you guys say, extend his glory. Okay, then you say, well, how do we do that? And the best answer I have is to do it the way that Jesus did. And how did he do it? He made disciples. He invested in people. It's people experiencing the forgiveness of sin because Jesus died on the cross. And because he died on the cross, also experiencing inside-out transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're about. And how is that leverage? Through relationships, which is really good. Because we're a very relational church. So this this is right up our alley. Now today, I'm going to make the case that the best way to do this is through personal relationships. But here's the thing. If you look at the landscape of the American church, I don't know if the American church is doing this. My impression is that the American church is like, oh yes, we're going to change the world. And the American church is like, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that through programs, woo, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a very charismatic preacher, you know, dynamic worship, you know? And, and I feel like Jesus, 
like through the Great Commission, like, no, 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 no. Strategy doesn't have to be that complicated. Strategy is everyone in the church, everyone, everyone engaged, building relationships, making disciples. It's very different. It's very different from the American church. Like, hey, just come sit on Sunday morning and just, you know, just listen to the message, right? Very different. It's a different vision of church. I'm just saying it's a very different vision of church. And, uh, and I, I think right here, I, I honestly think it's a better vision. Now, if we go into application, okay, what do, you, what do you mean, you know, how do we apply, right? I actually feel like, well, why not just walk through the steps that Jesus gave us in the Great Commission, okay? So that's where I'm going for the rest of the message. So the steps that Jesus gave us are go. Let me hear you guys say go. go. Baptize. Let me hear you say baptize. And teach. Okay. First go. One thing Denny does, every Sunday he's up there. He's always great at doing this. It's my favorite time, you know, what's cooking and all that. Wear like really tight shirt and all that, right? And so he goes, yeah, you know, okay, guys, what you do is like cross the aisle and just like shake someone's hand or like give them a dab or something like that. Or, you know, something that gets really ridiculous. But the, the, the point is what? It's go, Right? And that part, we kind of like, lava, you're funny. No, but that part is really important, right? It means, what does go mean in this context? Go walk across the room, have a conversation, build a relationship. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're different. I didn't come here for that. Well, you put yourself out there. That's what go means. Now, if you just look around at our church, I would say, we have something by the grace of God very valuable here in church, which is we have pretty much everyone in a different life stage in the same worship service. Not every church has that. And there's, there's maybe in a homogeneous church where everyone's the same life stage as you, there, I'm sure there's advantages to that, and you can find that. I'm just saying that that's not here. What we do have are people in different life stage relationships, and it's a unique opportunity. It's a unique opportunity here. I, I think we should make the most of it. In 2 Timothy 2.2, this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, entrust what you have learned to trustworthy men who will pass it on to others. Entrust what you have learned to trustworthy men who will pass it on to others. Now here's the question. How many generations are reflected in that statement? There's Paul to Timothy to trustworthy men who will pass it on to others. That's four generations of making disciples. We have that opportunity in our church. It's not in every church, but it is here. I think we should, by the grace of God, make the most of it. This would be the, the best time to just uh, ask Stephen to come up here. Stephen, would you, would you come up here, please? And uh, Hello? Oh, okay, cool. Hey, Stephen. Hi, Andrew. Hey. Um, Hi. Stephen, I don't know if you guys know this, but he actually has been living with me for the past three weeks. And um, I, I knew it was just like, I knew it was like a lot to take in when on the second day... No, I'm not going to do it right now. All right. No. He, he came down to my kitchen, 
and he took the hairband off his hair, and he did this. He went, <laughs> and I was like, Stephen, I don't know what just happened, but when did Fabio just walk into my kitchen? You know, like, like put that back. I mean, I mean, you got to warn me. Um, but I've been getting to know this this brother, and uh, I have a lot of affection for him, a lot of respect. And so, um, so Stephen, uh, right now, I you know. Um, Four years ago, you used to be a college student. Is that true? Uh, uh, a freshman. Three, three, oh, yes, a freshman. Yes. Freshman, four years ago. And so four years ago, when you started to come to our church, was it like your motivation that you wanted like, to get connected to people and get to know people? Uh, if I can be honest. Yes, be honest, please. Maybe not so much. Okay, not so much. And, um, but now I kind of see you as very fully integrated. My goodness, you're living with a pastor. So, a pastor. So, um, what happened? How did you get connected to our church? Oh, sure. Uh, okay, so I'll start when I first came, right? As I said, I think I was just looking for a church that I could go with my friends. So a lot of my friends were going here. Um, that had good sermons, you know, good sermons. Uh, shout out to Pastor Calvin. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, the, and this fit that, this fit that. All right, get out of here, man. <laughs> go back, go back. Um, this, this fit that, you know, so I, I was pretty content where I was. Uh, but one day, randomly, the children's ministry director at the time, she was saying, hey, we need some help with daycare for one of the home groups. Uh, does, do we have anyone that can help out? And so I was like, well, I can help, but I'm bad with kids. I'll warn you ahead of time, I'm bad with kids. They're like, it's fine, it's fine. Just come anyways. And so I went, and I was bad with the kids, but I had a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> But, but through that, I got to um, kind of know her a little bit better, uh, and, I, and I did like it. So I said, hey, um, can I help out more? And they're like, yeah, actually, you can help out on Sunday mornings, right? We'll just uh, have you come once a month. Uh, we'll kind of show you the ropes. It's, it'd be totally fine. Uh, so I was doing that, and that was really nice. I got to meet some of the other people, you know, serve alongside them, and meet some of the families, get to know the kids, and then later, Cecil comes on board uh, as children ministry director. And he was really good about being intentional with meeting up with me. He said, hey, um, do you want to meet up regularly? We'll just get to know each other better, uh, talk about children's ministry stuff. And he, he took the initiative, actually, of asking me about my own personal development. Sort of, you know, where are you at right now? What's going on in your life? Uh, where do you want to be? And so that relationship was, and even to this day, was very uh, rich. You know, I, I loved going to, to talk with him. We just discussed back and forth. It was really fun. Uh, and I, I would always leave with a lot more clarity. So I greatly appreciated that relationship I have with Cecil. So, <clears throat> so it really seems like when... When Paul was talking to Timothy, and then there was like one generation to the next, and then from Timothy to the next generation, it sounds like there were people older than you in faith who were investing in you. And as I understand your story, you also started investing in other people. And so can you share more about that? Uh, sure. So through other connections throughout the church, uh, I was inspired to sort of volunteer and help out at City Team Oakland. And actually, uh, a few of the guys I mentor are here today. Yeah. <laughs> good job, good job, guys. <laughs> uh, d- disciple them well, good job. <laughs> uh, but, but that was really kind of wild how that started. It was actually like 
I want to help out. I don't really know how I can. And then Jonathan, who's this other guy, he said, well, why don't you be a spiritual mentor? I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do that. And everyone's older than me. I don't, I don't know these guys that well. So one day we're on the beach, and he's just like, hey, who wants a spiritual mentor? And then two of the guys right there are like, yeah, all right, I'll take one. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess, I guess uh, I'm mentoring them now. And so we, we met up, uh, but, but I was so inspired by them at the beginning, actually, uh, just the openness they had to share their life with me, and I could really see their hunger for God. You know, they're, they're kind of sharing with me, uh, this, I really want this, right? I want to know more. I just, I just need help. And I was like, okay, um, that's why I'm here. And so that, that's been very uh, rich to see them grow in, in Christ um, and, and their, their lives even. I can see the change just even in a few months. It's, uh, it's very encouraging to me. And uh, you, I have to say that what's been very encouraging to me as I hear your story is that what we see in your life is that there are people investing in you and then you are investing in other people. And so it's this dynamic that Paul is talking about that's actually being celebrated in you. And as a pastor, when I see that, I'm just so happy. You know, it's like, yes, this is what church is about. You know, it's like, yes, you know, and it's very exciting. Um, but so, so Stephen, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of speak to this because I know that, like, for example, when I was in college and I was part of a church, I was just there, and honestly, it was just a program, right? And maybe some people are here just thinking that it's just, it's just a program, uh, just for a season. And what you, what you talked about sounds like it's a fair investment of energy and relationship, mm-hmm. right? So it's a different vision of church. Is that worth it? Why is that worth it? Uh, I would certainly say it's worth it, yeah. And why? Uh, I, I can only speak for myself, right? But for me... Being invested in and also investing, it's really for joy that it's all worth it. I can, especially this past season, I just sit there and I think how much joy I have. And I have so much peace these days. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the people who have invested in me over the years to get me where I am now. Um, and even my relationship investing in, in these guys here has been so encouraging to me. And uh, I, hope, I hope they go on to do the same. I uh, don't know if you know this, but Stephen is going to Peace Corps in two weeks. He's leaving to go to Indonesia and just love on the people of Indonesia. And so I, for one, am just going to say we're really going to miss you. Um, and we want to pray for you and just send you out. Um, actually, can we just pray for Stephen right now? Yeah. Church, would you just uh, extend a hand over to him? And, uh, and, and Father, I, I thank you for um, this son whom you love so much. I thank you for people like Cecil who have invested in him. I thank you that he has been investing in other people and just loving and building relationships. And now he's going to Indonesia. And I pray, Father, that you would use him powerfully. In all that he says and all that he does, he would be a powerful ambassador of Christ. And not only would he be changing people around him, but he in his heart would be changed. Um, We bless him and we do love him and give you thanks for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you. No, not yet. Two weeks. Two weeks. Thanks, Stephen. Um, So, 
in the great commission of Christ, our first command is go. I think in this context, it means walk across the room. It means invest. It means get connected. It means kind of put yourself out there. Uh, It means let's make the most of this opportunity. Now, number two, baptizing. Let me hear you guys say baptizing. Uh, So Jesus is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to make this point. There's a lot of space between going and baptizing. That's the point that I want to make with this one. There's a lot of space between going and baptizing. It's all under the umbrella of making disciples. Which means that in that space, it's building relationships with people at school. It's meeting your neighbors next door at the dorm, um, in your classes, at work, your, your next door neighbor. It's meeting people in the PTA. It's meeting people down the hall. It's loving them, caring for them, representing Christ in all that you do or say. And when the time is appropriate to share about your faith in Jesus. That's all part of making, uh, making disciples. I think of Linda from our church who went to L.A. to care for her mother who was struggling with cancer. And uh, by God's grace, her plane, uh, her flight back to the Bay Area was delayed. And so she went back to her mom. And during that time that God provided, she shared Jesus with her mother. And she asked her mom if she believed. And her mom said yes. And she asked her mom if she would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And her mom said yes. And she led her in prayer to receive Christ. There is a lot of space between go and baptize. So Jesus says go. He says baptize. And then he says teach. May you guys say teach. Jesus says teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Now when people hear this. A lot of people go, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't have the gift of teaching. This is something that I, I'm not so good at. I don't, I don't have that gift. Um, you guys, when Jesus says teaching them to obey all I have commanded, he's not just talking to teachers. It's something that any Christ follower can do. And here's the thing, if we all do this together, we would be way more effective than just having the experts do it. I want you to think about this. I want you to just pretend that there's a Christian that wants to learn how to pray. What do you think would be more effective? To say, oh, why don't you go to this class so you can learn how to pray? Or do you think it would be more effective to say, hey, why don't we actually pray together? Invite them into your quiet time and personally teach them how to pray. Let's say there's a new Christian that wants to learn how to study the Bible. Or is kind of scared and talking to a homeless man. You could say, hey, here is this online class on how to talk to a homeless man. I don't think there's actually available. But wouldn't it be more effective for us to say, hey, why don't we just do it together? Let's open the Bible together. And, um, and I, 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 I want to kind of walk you through the steps of how I've been learning to study the, the Bible. And then, you, and, then, and then why don't we actually go and talk to uh, the, the homeless together? And here, here's the thing. Here's the dirty little secret of what happens when you say, yes, I will make disciples. It will raise the bar on your own faith. If you teach someone else to pray 
you're going to learn how to pray. You will learn how to pray. You're going to be that, that extra level of motivation. Um, if you're going to teach someone to study the, the Bible, oh, you're going to be actively studying the Bible. And then if you're going to teach someone how to, like, talk to, the, to a homeless person, oh, you're, you're going to be doing it. You're going to be living it. The dirty little secret is that you're actually going to get more from that than perhaps they will. Now, uh, let me also give a word um, for every parent that is in the room. Uh, this applies also to, to quote-unquote spiritual parents, but I am talking specifically to, to parents. The truth is, whatever job you and I have, maybe you're like a computer engineer, Maybe you are a CEO. Simple truth is that we are totally replaceable. You can find another pastor better than me. It's going to be very, very, very hard. <laughs> but it's possible. No, I'm kidding. It's, I'm, I'm very replaceable. Here's the thing. One role that you have as mom or dad, disciple maker of your kids... That role is simply irreplaceable. Like, if you're not doing it, I can't be like, hey, I'm going I'm to do it for you. You have been given that role by God Almighty. So once my wife was, was telling me that um, perhaps I should do a better job being spiritual leader to my kids, you know, and saying, maybe you should do family devotions. And I, believe it or not, I, I, I was thinking... Rena, I don't have time to do that. You know? And we pick up the kids. There's homework. There's dinner. There's a mad rush to go get them to bed. I got, I got no time. We have no time to do that. And then suddenly, it dawned on me. You know, it dawned on me. Raina, Raina says it dawned on me because, you know, she told this to me. But anyway, it dawned on me. This dawned on me one day. Uh, I have the car ride. I have 30 minutes in the car with all my kids strapped in. They can't go anywhere. And so I have this, like, this captive audience, right? They're, they're like, pinned down to the backseat of the car. And, uh, and so for 30 minutes a day, I'll have one of them read a Bible passage, and then we'll just talk about it. You know, we'll talk about life issues. What do you think about that? We'll, we'll just work through the Bible, and, and what does that mean? And we'll pray for them. And it's our 30 minutes to, to get into God's word. My oldest son is fast becoming a man. Um, I had a good friend, I'm paraphrasing, say, oh, wow, your son is growing up. And I think he's actually going to be better looking than you. <laughs> it was something like that. But it was, I think that was, it was I, I, can, I understand indirect. I don't understand what you're saying. But my son is fast becoming a man. He's taller than, uh, than Raina, almost taller than me. I realize I only got six more years. Whatever window I have to speak into his life, under my house, it is shrinking by the day. And here's the thing. I also know that uh, as a young man, like for me, there, there was some real like, struggle with sexual purity. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to have that talk when he's 30. It's got to be now. And that window of time is there. And so, um, and so what we've been doing is, like, I realize I have um, three of them 
on, on the way to school. Um, and then I have, you know, sometimes we divide and conquer. I have, I have an audience of Ryan for maybe 30 minutes on the way back once a week. And so we're going through a sexual purity book just to talk about it. Is it awkward? Yes, it's awkward. Is it, you, to talk about that with my son? Yes, you know. Like, okay, I'm not going to say that story. But yes, it's awkward, right? Yes. But I'm having that conversation that we just need to have man to man. Uh, because I know my window of time is, is, is really shrinking and really fast. Listen, church. Love you all. By the command of Christ, please hear this. Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you to forgive your sin and to fill you with the Spirit. I charge you in the name of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. I just want to share one last story with you. My first mentor was a man by the name of Mr. Chai. I was a kid at the time going to, you know, like my mom's home church. It was like a Taiwanese church. And I was at like 11 years old when I was my first conversation with Mr. Chai. But he was like this towering figure, especially because I was so like small. Towering figure in his 50s, big, thick coca bottle glasses, big heart, like a gentle giant. And when I was uh, young, my, my father died. And Mr. Chai became my father figure to me. And he believed in me, prayed for me, cared about me. And he'd often talk to me about spiritual things. One day, I remember he said to me, and please, please forgive me for this, because when I think of Mr. Chai, I just, I just think of his voice, and his voice was very distinct. But I remember he said to me, he said, oh, Enzo, right, thick cocoa bottle, you know, big towering. Every morning when I get up, my mind is, uh, memorize the scripture. The word of God. You always say that, like, word of God, you know. John 14, I memorize in my mind God's word. So I memorize the entire chapter. And then he started to recite the entire chapter to me, you know. Like, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Oh, it's just memorized in my mind. I wake up in the morning, go through my mind, right. I was so inspired by Mr. Chai. I went home, and I memorized the entire chapter. Age 11. Mr. Chai was my first mentor. Here's the thing, though. He, he never called him and said, oh, I'm, I'm Andrew's mentor. He never said that. And we never met up regularly, but he had an impact on me far more than I ever realized. It was during that time that my father was diagnosed with brain cancer. And my father wasn't a Christian at the time. For one year, he lay in bed, contemplated his life. And for the first time, my dad was scared. He realized all his success, all his money, wasn't doing anything for him in the face of terminal cancer and that he needed something. He needed God. And during that time, Mr. Chai would come over and he would sit by my father in his um, bedside and he would read scripture and he would pray with him. He would come over again. And when my father was ready, he gave his life to Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus. Now, at the time, I wasn't a Christian so I don't know if that meant a lot to me. But now as I look back, I realize it was through the ministry of Mr. Chai that my father has eternal life through Jesus. And I'm going to see my father again. 
So you can imagine that when I became a Christian and I realized I'm going to see my father again, it meant everything to me. And so um, after my father passed away and, um, and then I went off to college and eventually I became a pastor and Mr. Chai became a retired senior citizen. And one day I just felt like, you know, Mr. Chai is um, still alive. And I have a window of opportunity to say thank you. And so one day I just called Mr. Chai out of the blue, out of the blue, you know. And and he picked up the phone. And you could tell that his hearing was starting to go, right? And so I said, I said, Mr. Chai, Mr. Chai, this is Andrew. And 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 Enzu, this is Enzu, right? He was like, oh, 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 Enzu Huang, Enzu Huang, oh, oh, oh. And I said, oh, Mr. Tsai, and we, you know, we were just like, how are you doing? How's your health? You know, all that stuff. And then I said, uh, Mr. Tsai, uh, I had never, when my father was sick, you went to go and visit him, and you read scripture to him, and you prayed with him, and you shared Jesus with him. And I know that he put his faith in Jesus. He said, oh, yes, by the grace of God, your father, I feel, really believe." I said, yeah, Mr. Tai, I've never had the opportunity to just say thank you. Thank you for leading my father to Christ. And he said, oh, oh, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Mr. Tai passed away a couple of years ago, and I shared this story at his funeral. And I said, by the grace of God, Mr. Tai, I owe you a debt of gratitude that I can never repay. And really what you did is Jesus said, make disciples, and you were obedient to that. I was so blessed to have you as my first mentor, as the man who preached good news to my father. Thank you, Mr. Chai. Mr. Chai was a man who spent his life making disciples, and I'm telling you, is it worth it? Oh, it is worth it. Absolutely, it is worth it. <clears throat> I have one last word for you, church. And I, um, I will say that this is not the way you're supposed to end sermons. Like right now, as far as sermons go, I'm supposed to end it right here. But I, I want to put one last thing out there. Um, as we've been in a period of transition, the board has been talking to a lot of people about problems of the church. And a lot of people, old and young, have been saying the same thing, which is that CLC could really use improvement on intergenerational connections. Almost as if to say, we see the people in different life stages across the pew, but we don't really know how to get connected. Can you help us? I met with a home group leader of one of our young adult groups, and I asked him, how can we help your home group? And he said to me, you can help our home group, especially some of us, get connected to older people in the church. I had a younger leader of our church write me this text. He said, I'd love to get to know older people and families in the church better. It's easier for me to initiate stuff with young adults since I see them all the time. But are there other church-wide serving things soon? In other words, I see the older people. I, I'm not really sure how to get connected. 
Now again, I know this is, not, this is not the best way to end a message, but I am confident that by showing you this problem and by us working together as a church, it's something by the grace of God that we can solve together to get connected and to go. So uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And church, I'm going to invite you to stand. Would you just pray with me? Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are always the reason. I thank you for being the God who is worthy of all of our worship. I thank you that you died on the cross to forgive our sins and to change us from within. I thank you for the church family that you've given us. It is quite a special opportunity. I pray that by your grace and by your motivation, we would make the most of this opportunity. I imagine there's young people thinking, I'd I'd love to to be like Stephen and get connected. And there's old people who are like, yeah, I'd love to invest, but we don't know where or how or who. And so I, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would motivate us. I pray that if CLC is our home church, we would make the most of this experience to do church in the way that you've called us to do church. It's not just a program. I know it's not just a program. It's much more than that. It's being connected into a family. Help us to get connected. I pray that you would show us what we can do. I pray that we would not be afraid to go and extend ourselves in the name of love, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that when you died on the cross, you have so much good for us that you gained through your death. Help us to enjoy every gift one by one in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray.